may have heard of genes that act selfishly, organisms that adapt in order to survive, ecosystems that behave as cohesive units. Biologists often talk about these things as though they were purposeful, exhibiting agency, directionality, or function. Should they? That's the big question that brings together the experimentalists, theoreticians, and philosophers who are involved in the Biological Purpose Project. This is the Purpose Podcast, where we will hear different interpretations of agency, directionality, and function in biology, and how people use these interpretations to answer long-standing questions and tackle real-world problems in biology. Welcome to Episode 2. I'm Siddhant. This may be a familiar story. You get back home from a day out in nature, maybe you had your dog with you, and you find these thorny round balls stuck to your clothes and your dog. What do you do? You busy yourself with getting rid of them, maybe? George de Mistral faced a similar problem when he got back from a hunting trip in 1941. We don't know if the Swiss engineer was too bothered about cleaning the burrs, that's what the round thorny things are called, but we know he did one more thing. He looked at them under a microscope and was struck by inspiration. He sees the hooks with which the burr attached to his clothes and on his dog's fur and creates a pair of materials that stuck together. One with hooks, like the ones on the burr, and the other with loops, like you find on fur and clothes. He called it Velcro. The Velcro is just the most common example of a biologically inspired design, but people are increasingly looking to the natural world for solutions to human problems. Emily Snellrood, one of the guests of this episode, became interested in bio-inspired design back in 2011. An evolutionary biologist and professor at the University of Minnesota, she has been giving talks and developing teaching materials around bio-inspired design, and she has found it a great way of connecting to people across disciplines. So presenting biology and evolutionary biology through bio-inspired design, people were instantly connected to it. They saw the relevance of it, but also saw the how basic research on seemingly weird or random species could be relevant. So she set out to make biological knowledge more accessible to those looking for specific design and engineering solutions. This, she realized, would require working with people with expertise other than her own. And one of the problems with that is language. You know, we know that language can be a barrier to interdisciplinary work, but I think I've learned that that to a greater extent, it's not just the jargon words, it's just the everyday words in the field even can be a barrier. To break those barriers, Emily set out to make some of the language biologists use intelligible to designers and architects and engineers. Through the Biological Purpose Project, her collaborations grew. So that kind of blossomed and especially this relationship with the designers in architecture and landscape architecture and since 2021 we've been meeting every month as a group to talk about a bunch of ideas and we have a whole bunch of specific projects as a group and as subgroups related to education or research or philosophy. One of those collaborators is Jessica Rossi Mastracci who is an assistant professor in landscape architecture at the University of Minnesota. I'm still just like the kind of communication 
piece across disciplines and like how we use words. And then also thinking through a design process that is interdisciplinary, that does take designers' expertise and experience through working through a problem, plus like biologists and how that, how we could work together to think about design. To figure out how they could work together, they needed a case study. And they realized, well, they were in one. This building that we're in, the sort of main social space on the first floor is in the basement and it's dark. Uh, both the hallway and the main social space doesn't really have any natural light and it's not a very inviting space from a lighting perspective. The building she's talking about is the ecology building at the University of Minnesota. That's where Emily and I work. Jessica, who doesn't work there and doesn't have to see it every day, has a similar appraisal of the space. The entrance is like both really constrained and really like open at the same time. It's really dark in there. There's not a ton of natural light. The materials are dark and seem to absorb a lot of light. Here's how Emily defines the problem they are trying to solve. And so the question is, if you're trying to light a dark space that has some natural light from Skylight Way up another floor, how do you do that? Using biology as a starting point. Whether it is to acquire energy or information to grab attention or to evade it, in almost every ecosystem on Earth, animals have evolved some way of playing with light. Looking at the basement through the eyes of an evolutionary biologist, Emily says this. Well, this is the bottom of a rainforest. It's dark. There's some natural light, but it's way up high and there's a lot of stuff in the way. What types of organisms are in that? dark space with some natural light that are using visual signals and how are they how are they visually signaling to each other and i've been especially exploring pirate butterflies in part because i work on pirate butterflies so i know some about them but also because they we already know they have these um these wing pigments that are highly reflective they're, the white wing pigments are highly reflective but the pirates around here are generally in open spaces. So I've started to explore related butterflies that are in the lower levels of rainforest. And so I've been using iNaturalist to figure out what species are common in the Amazon and actually some of the other rainforests around the world. I'm trying to get a hold of them and start to measure differences in the, the light reflectance of their wings. And then if some of them jump out as being highly reflective, look, starting to look at uh, possibly the using SEM and other microscopy methods to look at the structure of those wing scales. So in an ideal world, it would be like 20 years from now, could we have like a butterfly wing-inspired wallpaper that you put on the wall, and instead of having to put LEDs up there, you actually have a, a structural thing on the wall that really bounces the light around and makes effective use of really dim natural light. One of the other designers is really excited, getting excited about corals and sponges that have some fiber optic properties in their skeletons and so at this point we're just kind of exploring different systems and then we're eventually we just applied for a grant to an artist in residence grant from one of the designers to build start building prototypes next year and that's the bit that jessica is excited about to like prototype some of the stuff that comes out of the workshop and like build and kind of test some of it so whether it's like something that holds light or reflects light or moves, I don't know. Billy had some cool idea about like things that move, so that'd be super cool to build and, and test. So like some small small scale things to build. 
obviously have to get some permission first (laughs) to install things. So whether it's there or it needs to be somewhere else, I don't know. The pool of engineering and design solutions in biology runs deep. There are many more ideas in biology that engineers and designers could tap into if only they knew where to look. According to Emily, that place is the tree of life. The birds that Demostral was inspired by when he created the Velcro, they exist because plants find them useful. Birds full of seeds hitch a ride on some animal and the plant gets to spread its seed far and wide. Nature has designed other sticky materials too. The pads on a gecko's foot are another famous example that scientists have been trying to replicate. Nature often comes up with multiple solutions to the same problem, and the more broadly you look, the more kinds of solutions you can find. So you can't really sample broadly without understanding the evolutionary tree that kind of links all of life together. People with different expertise also look at the same problem in slightly different ways, and when they put their heads together, they can get a lot more done. By essentially reverse engineering the design process, this interdisciplinary group is building bridges, creating a process of knowledge exchange that others could make use of. For now, this may light up a dark gloomy corner of the University of Minnesota, but in the future, who knows, it may spur new collaborations and spark biologically inspired design ideas even they haven't imagined yet. That's all from episode 2 of The Purpose Podcast. The Purpose Podcast is brought to you by the Biological Purpose Project. To learn more about the Biological Purpose Project, you can visit biologicalpurpose.org. Thank you for listening.